The Giants are 19 and 26. Can you feel it, Doug? They're coming back. They're going to be 500 sometime by June, I think. Oh, it's, it's happening. It's happening. That 500 is it's so close to being almost within reach. <laughs> they can smell the general direction of where the scent might possibly be coming from. If you squint, you can see that they're competent. <laughs> Uh, they're thinking about considering coming up with an idea. They, they, have a, they have a plan to someday not be bad. That's right. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, they're going to apparently break out in some sort of feud. <laughs> I, I wanted to lead it off with feud! Exclamation feud. point. <laughs> uh, like a 1930s war headline. It's feud! Night, Dateline, St. Louis, Missouri. Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford hate each other. Brandon Belt hate each other. Um, yes. Maybe Brandon Crawford, too. We don't know how deep this actually goes. That's <laughs> true. I mean, Belt could have Crawford on his, on his side. Posey could have Samarja on his side. It'd be, it could be rough. It could be rough for a bunch of years now. I We're just seeing all of this up yeah. because, hey, why not? <laughs> Who knew that all the only thing holding the Giants together was winning championships? But if you remove <laughs> if you remove the championships from the equation, they'll they'll just they'll just go after each other. That's that's the Giants' true nature. But actually, the truth is is uh, it looks like Brandon Belt and Buster Posey are having some miscommunication on the diamond about making Buster Posey not look good, and maybe. <laughs> Uh, so I'm pulling straight from Hank Shulman's article yesterday. Just pulling straight from it. In the article, Hank Shulman writes, hold on, which tab? Is, this is my problem. I've got too many tabs open. Um, in the game, they refuse to re- discuss what's actually going on. But the uh, broadcasters, ugh, AJ Pruszynski, pointed out <laughs> that... Uh, Belt didn't hold Stephen Biscotti uh, close to the bag at first base, even though the Giants won in the 13th inning. I mean, there was a point in the game uh, on Saturday in the final moments, and and Posey and Belt, basically Posey wanted Belt closer to the bag, holding the runner. Biscotti wound up st- uh, stealing second base. Shulman's article uh, brings up that uh, against the Dodgers a, a few weeks ago, Third base coach Phil Nevin held Belt at third amid some dispute, I'm quoting now, quote, amid some dispute whether Belt slowed during his advance. Uh, When Posey got to first base and saw that Belt had not scored the go-ahead run, he was agitated, Uh, end quote. So two things, making, you know, denying Buster Posey an RBI and putting the Giants ahead much earlier, even though they'd go on to win that Dodgers game. And then not giving him a good enough chance to, to throw out a would-be base stealer. Um, that, right? Have I got it right? It's, it seems like it, yeah. So this immediately makes me think of all the stuff we've been hearing about Brandon Belt this year. Because even when he was, like his OPS was approaching 900 or was over 900, uh, he was getting, that, that's when the stuff started leaking out. And so I'm thinking Buster Posey is the puppet master here. Buster Posey is pulling all the strings, is what you're saying. <laughs> and I guess it makes sense. It, it really, he is the face of the franchise right now. So don't, come on, Brandon Belt, don't tick him off. 
That's right. Yeah. If anyone's on this team got more power than you, Brandon Belt, it's Buster Posey. It's an interesting relationship they have, too, because rather famously, um, I mean, this was a highlight in the publicity for the show. When uh, Showtime tried to get people to watch baseball outside of a game, they created that franchise documentary show. The Giants were the first team, and it was 2011. And Brandon Belt, they filmed the moment where Buster Posey was coming through the the the, the innards of the stadium uh, on a on a cart with his leg up. This was after Scott Cousins blew out his his ankle. And Brandon Belt is passing him as that's happening. And Brandon Belt just goes, wow, that looks bad. And then he keeps walking. So the two of them have always had that as sort of the starting point that he was coming up as Buster Posey was dis- you know, disappearing into the ether. And Buster Posey is the guy. And so Brandon Belt's goofball, Olive Garden, giraffe streakiness is probably... <laughs> That plus their history that it does they're not quite oil and water, but yeah, the idea that they'd be like best pals with some degree of understanding perhaps strains credulity if this is a scripted story here, <laughs> which is not it's real life uh but doug, I'm gonna pose a question to you uh f x does that t v show called Feud, and every year it's a new feud if season two it won't be season two, but like season five. It's, it's Brandon Belt and Buster Posey. Who plays whom? Uh, well, I'm going to say Chris Evans plays Buster Posey. I mean, that's probably an, an obvious answer, but... Captain America. He's sure. Captain America, and Captain America has to play Buster Posey. Okay. That's just kind of how that works. Uh, I'm trying to think of who's who's lanky enough to play, to play Brandon Belt. Like, McConaughey's too old. He's got the yeah. right body type in general, but he's too old. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know who... Uh, maybe Arnie Hammer? Oh, Arnie Hammer. You know, you have to, like, put that beard on him, and you have to act kind of goofy. Army Hammer, not Arnie Hammer. Army, yeah. Army Hammer. Um, um, yeah. I could see it with the beard, maybe. <laughs> he's also six foot five. He's a C65? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so Chris Evans versus Army Hammer. There we go. That's season five of Feud coming up on FX down the line. <laughs> or on FS1 when they when they are desperate for ratings. Um, I, do you think this really means anything? Or it's just guys who play together and get cranky at each other having a flare-up, especially when your team sucks? I, I think it's mostly the second one. I mean, you know, if we're going to point to Giants feuds, we're all going to think about Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent fighting in the dugout, and that team went to the World Series that year. You know, sometimes guys get kind of pissy with each other, and it doesn't mean that the team's bad. Now, the team's history of being bad this year means that, could mean they're bad, but Brandon Belt and Buster Posey not getting along I don't think is that huge of a deal. Yeah, I mean, we uh, if you're just tuning in, which is strange that you jump in like five minutes into a podcast, but maybe you did, I don't know. <laughs> right, this <laughs> is a podcast. Doing... You have the entire <laughs> thing. You can start, you can start from the beginning. Uh, I guess if you're just tuning in for the season, we uh, a couple weeks ago said that the Giants need to change it up and build, look for the next couple of years and kind of take their whatever assets they have and make some trades, essentially. 
I don't think they are keen to trade Brandon Belt, the, the organization. But, I mean, let's be honest. If for some reason it comes to a head and it's Buster Posey or Brandon Belt, they're, they're picking Buster Posey or they're sticking with Buster Posey. And Brandon Belt, they would just, they would just trade to the Sun. Like, not the Phoenix Suns, the actual Sun. And he would burn, he'd be incinerated. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Sun's got a good need for a high on base percentage for his baseman. I think it'd be a good trade for both sides. <laughs> you know, they need someone to wrangle those solar flares. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, other than that, what was the best part of the weekend in St. Louis? I mean, let's admit it, folks. We all take great pleasure in the San Francisco Giants going into Missouri and and knocking around some true heartland Americans um, in the the best fans in baseball. <laughs> we do. It's fun. You know, you get to, to reminisce about the 2014 NLCS and the 2012 NLCS and the 2002 NLCS. And <laughs> it's fun to beat the Cardinals. The Giants, the Giants broadcasts really are shameless with how much they lean into all that. And good for them. That's what we want to see. <laughs> it's like if you bought, if you, if the Giants paid all that money to build these teams up and win championships with them, you know, that money, they, they spent the money. Let's see it on the screen. So let's replay those clips as often as we can. I feel like uh, it's kind of like a bad sequel flashing back to a to like the good earlier movie like you should be annoyed if it was a good movie you'd be annoyed but since now you're like yeah i did like that yeah I that's did like true it when john mcclain pushed alan rickman <laughs> off that building that was cool one of the most recent examples of that i can recall is in the third hunger games movie where uh woody harrelson is talking to everyone assembled and he's going, okay, let's remember all the times where Katniss was most effective when we really, <laughs> when we really liked her. And he's like literally writing down the key moments from the movies, but really only the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going like, they are really spinning their wheels right now in this movie that they have some re for some reason split into two movies. Um, that's the most yeah. recent example I can think of. Uh, yes, I tend to view baseball as like a television show because it's seasons, right? And it lasts for a long time. Football to me seems a little bit more movie-like. Maybe basketball. I don't know what it is because the single games feel like they mean a lot more in the NBA, but maybe not because um, they played a, a crap load of games too. So in that sense, to get to your point, it's like either a clip show, which is bad, or it's a final season type thing where we look back to all the good times, which is right. also bad. <laughs> and there, but I mean, you would be forgiven for thinking that this is sort of the last season of this particular Giants team. Uh, but in any case, coming back after blowing a two-run lead uh, on on Friday w was really impressive to come back and win like in, in nine innings. We've now seen the Giants do that twice in a month, which yeah. oh my god. <laughs> uh, tie, uh, twice, in fact, in uh, in like ten days. That's crazy. So, uh, yeah, I never would have thought that would happen. <laughs> uh, congrats to the bullpen, though, for just constantly 
just the moment you look away, it the the Giants bullpen is like a toddler. The <laughs> moment you look away, it's falling down the staircase. <laughs> so I mean, there's really there's really two things that you can do there: either always watch them or throw them down the stairs. Right. Well, you're going to throw yourself down there, so let me just get to the chase. Right. <laughs> Why am I wasting time keeping you from doing this if you want to? <laughs> uh, and then on Saturday, a rather epic... It was actually a pretty cool game that in eight, eight innings were played in like the, the length it takes me to like sneeze. <laughs> and, and then there was a huge rain delay, and then the game wound up going 13 innings. And the Giants scored multiple runs in extra innings. Um, and as Grant pointed out in his great recap of the game, I, you guys were all watching the Warriors game, so you didn't read it. You didn't watch the game. But Christian Arroyo had a, a hell of an at-bat. Um, that it, was an, it was a very impressive at-bat. And uh, the fact that he was able to yank a changeup as far as he did. Let me tell you, folks, there aren't many players on the Giants who can do that. <laughs> But uh, he had a 12 pitch at bat and and paid off by driving in a couple of runs. And, you know, Christian Arroyo is basically hitting um, a sneeze, one of my sneezes, the aforementioned sneeze. He's not hitting very well, but he is playing solid defense and having long at bats that that is a skill or it is at least reflective of some sort of skill. And, you know, if he's slid into the Matt Duffy spot, basically... Doug, did the Giants know that they already had a backup Matt Duffy? I don't I don't think they did, but I think when they saw his hot start, Arroyo's hot start this year in triple A, and they they knew that he could play defense. When they saw that he was hitting the well, they said, you know, at worst he's gonna be Matt Duffy at this point. Um because and- Matt Duffy, you know, hasn't you know, he hasn't played at all this year. He didn't hit last year. So he was basically just a really good defender with an, with a mediocre bat last year. And so Arroyo has pretty much done that this year for the Giants, except with a lot of big hits at big times. Yeah, and I actually think he's a b- better hitter already than, than Matt Duffy, even though the thing that's impressed me the most, as I said multiple times last year, was Matt Duffy shows that he can adjust. Um, Christian Arroyo kind of still has to show that, but... As I said last week, it's not like Christian Arroyo's giving away at bats at the same time. You know what I mean? So it's just like he's it's not so much he's gotta figure it out, it's just more like hit the ball hard and they'll come. And that's what yeah. at least it seems like to me right now. Um very encouraging uh, in that sense. And then of course Matt Kane getting blown out. Yesterday. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> that's gonna happen because he's not good. Was that twenty thirteen or twenty it was twenty fourteen, I think, right? Where he had like a forty pitch, forty four pitch first inning or something, and the the Cardinals just wore him out. And then it was not too long after that that the bone chips and all that stuff happened, right? Uh, it was in St. Louis. Well, that probably was in twenty fourteen. He got actually injured after that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So Matt Cain against the Cardinals, especially in St. Louis, not great. But there is one other game in St. Louis that I remember. I'm not coming to a joke here. It was like a Friday night game or, or something or a Thursday night game or what? It, uh, it was in St. Louis. It was against Wainwright. And the two of them basically had like a pitcher's duel for like seven or eight innings. And then the Giants just, they had like a one nothing lead and they couldn't hold it or something like that. So he's he's certainly been capable of pitching well. I, I guess what I'm getting at is it means nothing to me that he he got his ass kicked <laughs> yesterday 
in St. Louis because one, the car, it's very hard to sweep on the road. Two, Matt Cain is a fifth starter and, you know, it's going to happen. Um, you just hope it's not consistent and it's Jake Peavy ugly when it happens, although it kind of was. But uh, Matt Carpenter, he, he destroys the Giants and he did a good job of doing that the other day. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess you just kind of go, hey, the Giants won two out of three. If they keep winning two out of three, they're at the end of the season, they're going to look pretty darn good. <laughs> right. I, you know, if they're going to win every two out, two out of every three games, I guess I can accept that. Well, hey, they've won over the last two weeks. They've they're eight and six. That's true. They are. Yeah, they're eight and six. They've been genuinely good uh, over their last. You know, I mean, over the last what ten? They're eight and two. Is that right? It's something like that. Yeah, I mean, but just overall, they're, you know, if they're going to hold the line, you know, you play above 500, even if it's one game, like just keep trying to do that consistently and then hope by the time you're back to full strength when Pence comes back and maybe if Bumgarner comes back, but maybe it's just a matter of some other guys pitching well or a call up or a trade, which we'll get to in a minute, you know, (laughs) then you can get hot. Uh, Something to that effect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a one, as we said last week, wow, when you have your good players on the field, <laughs> the team is different. <laughs> uh, so yes, let's, well, without further ado, let's get into the uh, trade proposal two weeks ago. You know, the Giants are done, they're toast, they're 19 and 26 now, which is better, but uh, what's the point? <laughs> they, they have a lot of old players, they're kind of top heavy, they have a lot of young players, and Everything in between, they're all underperforming. The Giants don't actually have a lot of value trade-wise, potentially. But if you can get people to kind of see, like, well, they've had a bad start to the season. If we look at the last couple of years, if we look at their age, we look at their cost. You know, it. this is, I think, the trap. This is my rational way. Doug, this is the trap that all successful teams run into, right? You want to keep your core guys. But if everyone is a core guy... <laughs> You're going to just spending on 10 players and that's it. And I think the smart teams, I don't mean smart in like the cruel, efficient capitalist way of not paying players, although that's a part of it. But like you got to cut ties. The The old baseball saying, I think it was Pat Gillick who said that it's better to trade a year too soon, too early than a year too late. You know, uh, well, like, I've heard that as a I've heard that originating from actually Bill Walsh. Okay, Bill Walsh. That that makes that's even that makes more sense. So, uh, but just to be somewhat bloodless, and I think, I think Sabian had that, and I think when you just win World Series, it kind of goes that way. And I think also it's always, a, I think from the Giants' perspective, because they're not the Cubs, because they're not the Red Sox, because they're not the Astros. I'm, I'm trying to think of like the they're not the Dodgers. They're not these high-minded analytics teams. I think the Giants are in the old school mindset, and I'm not saying it negatively. I'm just pointing it out. Where you go, we have a good player. Do you know how hard it is to get good major league players? <laughs> Why would we trade them uh, for prospects or for whatever it is or, or marginal upgrades? We like him, and he's good. That's enough. Um, and I think that's okay. But I also think it gets you into these situations where you've got a lot of sunk costs, or you. Start to lose flexibility if you want to make other moves. 
So basically what Doug and I are going to try to do, and we're going to fail spectacularly. Oh my God, ourselves. we're going to fail so spectacularly. <laughs> is try to come up with a couple of ideas to give the Giants potentially some flexibility down the line in the next couple of years. Now, another caveat that some of the conditions have changed over the last two weeks is that recently, as of three days ago, it was reported that the Nationals, whose bullpen is a shambles, which is funny um, because it is a good organization and they have the money and literally the other parts of their team are, are great. Defense, offense, uh, pitching, starting pitching, all fantastic. Their bullpen's a mess and, uh, and so they're looking for a closer, essentially, which is, I think is a bad thought, Doug, right? <laughs> Uh, if you've got multiple bad relievers, one good reliever who's going to cost a lot, not a great. But anyway, they're looking to trade. And Mark Melance's name was out there. And Doug, you were the one who said that if the Giants are going to make a trade to blow this thing up, Mark Melanson should be the first to go. So Yeah, I mean, he was the, he was the natural thought. He's someone, you know, he's a good player. The Giants are just committed to him with money. Uh, and they can... And, you know, he's not, he wasn't a part of those championship teams, so the emotional attachment from the fans, you know, if the, if the Giants trade some of their really good players, they trade, you know, Brandon Crawford or Posey or whoever, fans are not going to be happy. They trade Mark Melanson, well, okay, well, you know, all right, that's fine. That makes sense. Um, so then, and then I put forth, let's go big, and let's do Joe Panic because he's young enough, he's got some upside, he's the middle infielder, not offensively great. In any case, now with the Melanson news, I thought, well, I better come up with the Melanson trade too. But I'm going to let you go first, Doug, obviously, because you you were the trailblazer here. You saw this coming. I was a trailblazer. So um, <laughs> if you look at the Giants' big needs for the immediate future, uh, obviously outfield is one because the outfield is full, full of question marks. And the other one is starting pitching. Um, you just don't know what you're going to get out of Bumgarner when he comes back, Cueto's going to opt out, Kane's going to leave. That's a good thing, you know, in terms of overall team quality. I will love Matt Kane forever, but he's not a great pitcher anymore. You know, they have Tyler Beatty coming up at some point, but he's a prospect. You don't know what prospects are going to be. So they need to find some starters. So I was thinking if you look at Washington's prospects, uh, their number six prospect is a guy named Austin Voth, who's a 24-year-old in AAA right now. He's a decent prospect. He's not a great one, but he, you know, he profiles as solid to average in many things. Um, so he seems like a sort of natural center centerpiece. I would try to get an outfielder. I don't know if they have anyone who is an upgrade over, I don't know, Juan Perez. <laughs> uh, it just seems like a lot of guys who are, if the bat develops, and then you go, I've heard that before. So uh, I think my throw-in, well, not throw-in necessarily because he's not a, a bad prospect, but the other guy I would target is uh, named Juan Baez because his name is Joan Baez, and I can make a lot of jokes off that. He's the one I looked at too. Okay, so who is the uh, Voth? Mike? Austin Voth was the more center. Austin Voth. Yeah. And Joan Baez. Yeah. Yeah, Joan Baez is who I looked at. A little bit too, but I actually went to what they gave up to get Melanson when the Nationals traded for him last year, uh, and they gave up their number nine prospect Taylor Hodges, I think, and then um, Felipe Rivero, who's a left-handed reliever, I think, and they gave them over to the Pirates, um, which 
in retrospect and even now, it doesn't feel like a whole lot. I mean, I think uh, the pitcher Hodges guy is going to be is projected to be decent. Or Taylor Hearn, that's the name, Taylor Hearn. And if I go to Taylor Hearn, that's when I, <laughs> this is how I did it. <laughs> uh, he's a le- a lanky left-hander um, who's you know projects. 55, you know, his 55 is his fastball now, and maybe he'll get to 65, and Fangraphs had him going as, as high as a 70 uh, fastball, which is great. People, just to be yes. clear, we're not talking the about 20, power. the 2080, yeah, the 2080 scouting scale. Uh, the closer 80 you get, you know, 80 is like you're going to be a Hall of Famer, like you're, you're the best. Uh, but, you know, overall, he's like a 55 plus. So that's like a middle of the rotation starter at most, but probably even a, a lefty reliever at some point. Um, and he was in low A at the time. So that was that was what they gave up to get Melanson from the Pirates last year. And you would think that the Pirates were looking; they were doing what I was just saying. You know, that was not that was basically last year was like a lost season to them. And so they and, and even the year before that, when they traded Neil Walker, that was them going like, we need to be a little more ruthless here because these guys are going to start to cost more than we can afford with the Pirates. And so they tried to reload. They also had Josh Harrison, who so was like, let's play him every day at second and cut Neil Walker, who costs a lot. Um, Mark Melanson, if, if Mark Melanson leaves the Giants, the Giants bullpen actually does get worse, surprisingly. But at this point, we're just saying to the Giants, they're not going anywhere. So I think it's actually pretty good because those are obviously looking at their system, that's who they have. But I kind of tried to keep it within the lines. And then I also tried to think that the Nationals would look at this from the standpoint of, well, he costs way more financially than he did before. And they're already pretty close to the to the cap threshold. So even if they were like we're desperate and we think we can do it this year, so we're gonna we're gonna go over into the tax. I think it's gonna hurt what the Giants can get in return as a result of that, unless the Giants are willing to eat some money. Yeah, I was and thinking I would, that that would be fine. If they did, depending on who they get back, maybe. But I also think if the Giants uh, front office gets the okay to start blowing this up a little bit, or at least trade Melanson. I mean, that was the one guy who they put everything in in the offseason. So to your point about, well, they're not going to trade the fan favorites. It's going to look weird and maybe a little bit bad to trade the guy that all their season ticket holders wanted. You know, that little kid wrote that note. Even oh, yeah. <laughs> like they, they made a really big deal about getting Mark Melanson. So just giving him up, um, I would say that the only way, the way to make it most palatable, because they're not going to get major league talent back most likely is to get them under the cap, which I think clearing his whole salary does actually get them under and it resets, I think. I'm, I'm pretty sure. That's, so that was part of my thinking for that. So to me, it's like the Nationals gave up a number nine uh, prospect to get him. I think that the Giants, for them to take on the whole salary, would have to accept less. So... I but I have followed you. I think the Giants need to look to pitching in that rotation. AJ Cole, who's currently in the minor leagues and is like 25 or 26 years old, he actually still has rookie status for the Nationals, and he's back into the rotation starter. But he's six foot five. He's got a good fastball, and he's pitched decently when he's come up. So I went with AJ Cole, and then I got a hard throwing sort of right-handed reliever, Jake Johansson, who's like in the minor leagues. Uh, or in like low A or double A or something like that. 
And that was it. I just basically said, okay, they can get a guy who they could theoretically either keep in the in the minors for the rest of this year, or he could already be ahead of Tyler Beatty. And so if Bumgarner comes back and it's a problem, Cueto opts out, whatever, you know, Matt Cain's gone, they've got Cole there already who could be there this year. And they've got Beatty who could be the guy that they have to kind of like shuttle back and forth or, you know, piggyback or whatever it is. So, because again, we were thinking towards blowing it up. I'm like, well, AJ Cole's not an answer, but he's certainly a stopgap fill-in measure. And between that and an interesting prospect who throws hard, um, but obviously has command issues, but has a good secondary pitch. I think he's a curve. He's got a hard curve, like a spike curve and a fastball. And uh, I think, you know, two guys like that, that seems to be, and all the salary gone, that was what I was thinking they could go with. So. Well, I would say I don't think I think if the problem is a PR problem of uh, of getting rid of Melanson, I don't think that shedding this that getting under the cap is going to really help them out. And I'm also not sure that that would actually do it. I don't. The rules are a little bit fuzzy to me, but I think they've already paid. Uh, well, how much is he getting this year? Is it 15 million a year? It's 14. I mean, they paid him a salary bonus. But I don't. It's it's the AAV of the contract. So I think actually the AAV is. Like fifteen or sixteen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be fifteen. So, so they they get fifteen, which I think gets them under, and you only have to get under the cap for one year for it to reset. Okay. So if they get under the cap this year, I then thought, it resets I thought there for next were reports year. that they were over the cap even before they signed them, but that could be wrong. But that's what I'm saying. If they end the year under the cap, right. it resets. Well, so if this is if you're looking at 2017, is just like. Yeah, they were already over when they signed him, or he, they were very close. So if they get back under it, they because they were already in the penalty from the year before. They went over last year because because of all their signings and the pay increases. So if they get under again, you know, it resets. Yeah, they were probably already going to reset anyway because, or they were definitely going to reset anyway because Kane leaving and all that other stuff. But you know, you get under it, and now you've got some flexibility. You could get under it now, and you could maybe make a move in the season too. So, I don't know, just thoughts to consider. Like like I said, we're both bad at this. We're so. so bad at this. But I also want to throw in my Joe Panic deal because, you know, looking at Joe Panic, I'm like, is he actually that desirable of a trade ship uh, for other teams? You know, his, his top comp is like maybe Neil Walker. Neil Walker was traded when he was 30. That's when the Mets got him and, you know, at his age 25 season, his OPS was slightly higher than what Joe Panics will probably be at a full season, somewhere in the 730s. But right now, Joe Panics is like in the 650s, I think. Um, obviously, stellar defense. And, you know, other teams have seen what he can do 2014, obviously. Um, and the injury stuff has sort of been like, except his back has been, that, that was an issue for sure. Um, that is something serious to consider. So, but 25 left-handed hitting, solid defense, very cheap under team control, obviously. That was, those are the things I was thinking before, but like if Neil Walker's uh, peak is, is potentially his peak, and but Ronnie Belliard is probably closer to his comp now, the Giants probably couldn't get a lot for him anyway. But I still tried to look around. And I, I also looked at what other teams need second baseman. The Giants... Get rid of Joe Panic, you know, they're going to need a second baseman unless they move Arroyo over there or unless Nunez plays over there. 
and I can't think of any other infielders in the minors that they got, but they, they would be doing a downgrade. But so then my thought was, well, it's going to have to still be the same thing. It's going to have to be pitching that they look for. And so looking at other teams, uh, the Royals was a, were a team that popped up on my radar, but I think the Royals are kind of writing off this season. I don't know what you think about that, Doug. Yeah, I, I don't think they're... I don't think they have a lot of hope for how this one's going to go. Yeah. But then I looked around in the same division and I saw that the White Sox are only three or four under 500. And the White Sox are kind of are quasi rebuilding. And they have uh, Tyler uh, Saladino uh, at their, uh, as their second baseman right now. And he's hitting like 200. Um, and Joe Panic's better than him for sure. So my thought was, my plan was... <laughs> Um, was they would to the White Sox for uh, prospect pitching the delicious sounding Tyler Danish <laughs> who's a right handed pitcher in AAA right now he's 22 um, he's basically got like a 55 fastball he's got a great change up so that was kind of what jumped out he pitches mostly 88 to 90 but he's got heavy sink on his pitches um, he's got kind of a low arm slot um in any case, I thought maybe him. He's the 21st ranked prospect um, in the White Sox system. And then this other pitcher, Zach Thompson, who's got a 60 fastball. He's also six foot seven, And uh, so that, that definitely caught my eye. He's only an A-ball right now. He's got 88 strikeouts in 86 innings, and he's a starter, but you know he could be a reliever. He's got low 90s, but he's got 95 he can reach with this fastball. He's also 23. So a couple of young pitchers who have interesting, either they've got a lot of movement or they've got power. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. It's basically the two parts of Jeff Samarja split into two, into two pitchers. Uh, for Joe Panic, who, yes, uh, even in retrospect, two weeks, like trading Joe Panic is probably a bigger PR hit. And even if they got some people who could help them a couple of years from now, it would, you know, the Giants are essentially downgrading. But... They also are not going anywhere this season, so all options are on the table was my thinking there. So there we go. None of this will happen, and we got it all wrong. But if it's right, we knew it all along. Yes, exactly. That's our motto. If we're right, we knew it all along. Uh, that gets us to the week ahead. The Giants are going to get their brains bashed in for the next uh, four days in Chicago, which uh, I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, I'm not going to enjoy watching John Lackey exist and oh, be on God, the TV he's gonna screen. Breathe. He's going to be there. Breathe. Uh, poor Ty Block. He's going to just be helpless against the onslaught of the of the Cubs offense. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is just going to frustrate the whole day. Oh, man, I'm not looking forward to watching Christian Oriole struggle against him. <laughs> not looking forward to that. Or Brandon Belt, for that matter. Uh, and then Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto will probably pitch seven innings and strike out nine or, like, he'll probably strike out, like, nine or 11, but he'll give up six runs in one inning, like, in the second or third inning, and it won't matter. The Giants will lose 6 nothing. but Johnny Cueto will have looked good for most of the game. It'll be frustrating. And then Matt Moore, who pitches terribly on the road, except in his most recent start, will be going against John Lester, who I actually strongly dislike. <laughs> Uh, and so that won't be fun. And then I don't know who the fourth person is, actually. Well, that would be that would be Matt Cain. Wait, did I miss somebody? One, two, three, four. I, won't I definitely missed somebody. 
it'll be Samarja. Samarja. And so it'll be just Samarja getting lit up. So uh, Samarja will probably, what? He's probably good for... Uh, but, but, Actually, I want to point something out. Jeff Smarja has pitched outstanding in his last three or four starts. He hasn't walked anybody in three starts. He hasn't walked anybody this month. Yeah. I mean, there was a game where he struck out like eight and walked none, but gave up 10 hits <laughs> um, and, a, and some home runs. You know, hey, you're hurting your cause when you walk, guys. So at least he's not doing that. <laughs> I would say watching him, he hasn't really done anything differently. It's either... it. To me, it looks like a sequencing change and or or a pitch selection change up a little bit. It looks like he's trusting his curveball a little bit more. So maybe it's just a little bit more feel for that pitch lately. Yeah, it's it's possible. It's I don't have any sort of dead on him, dead on him like in front of me. I'll just say he's looked like a really good pitcher, um, and that's you know the statistics say he should have been great all year. Like Fangraphs loves him, Baseball references. You know, advanced metrics love him, um, and the results haven't haven't been there in terms of giving up runs. So, uh, I'm fine with just deciding he's great now and he's going to be great for the rest of the year because he <laughs> had good strikeout and walk numbers over the first month and a half. I think that's totally a good way to evaluate players. <laughs> he was good for the first month of last season, so I mean, let's not forget that. <laughs> so, uh, but it's interesting that the Giants. I think this is a, a fine way to build a rotation if you're not just calling up Madison Bumgarnai <laughs> uh, every every month. Matt Moore and Jeff Samarja are the same kind of pitcher in that they clearly have the stuff and they clearly are power pitchers. It's just they don't know what the hell they're doing half the time. Like, they don't know where the ball is going half the time. Uh, and and so they're tantalizing in that sense. Like you can see the talent clearly, uh, and so can they harness it? Can the Giants harness it for the next three or four years for both of these guys? Uh, I think we're just going to have these streaks of like they're pitching well, they're pitching awful. Get them out of baseball. <laughs> I think it's just going to be the case. Uh, one more note about this weekend series: They're going into Chicago, where pretty much every team does well offensively, except, of course, the Giants, because wherever there's runs to be scored, they run from that. Um, it's funny that in a neutral park, they seem to hit well. In offensive-minded parks, they seem to shrink away now. Um, and then in pitcher-friendly parks, you know, they they get shut down, um, including their own, which is not a good look. <laughs> but the Giants have hit. And over the last two weeks, the last two weeks of the Giants season has have been very interesting because they've obviously played better and they haven't really played the dregs of the league either. They played middling to great teams and they've been OK. They've been good. Giants have also hit 16 home runs. They've hit almost half of their season home run total, 35, over the last two weeks. What's most interesting about that, Doug, can you guess? It's not actually interesting. It's it's really annoying. Oh, but it I, is I, still interesting. I can't guess because I think I know what it is. They've what hit, is it? They've hit a lot of solo homers in a row. They do not homer with other guys on. Over their last fourteen games, they have hit sixteen home runs. Which, if you said that in on April tenth, we would have found you and put you in a mental hospital. <laughs> so. Uh, it would have been, so 16 home runs in the last 14 games. 
How many of them were solo home runs? All of all but one of them. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I have that wrong. They had 17 home runs in the last two weeks, and all but one of them were uh, were solo home runs. That's nuts. It is. The last non-home run was like Belt hit a home run with somebody on base. Buster Posey's been a big culprit in all this. I just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> all of his home runs have been solo shots. So they're going to go on to Wrigley Field, and they'll probably get a one nothing lead in that first game. <laughs> they'll just... With the like a leadoff home run maybe, and then it'll just it'll just go from there. Uh, so, uh, this is what I was saying. Before we move on to talking about a team besides the Cubs, I just want to say the Cubs are really struggling offensively right now. Chris Bryant's having a great season. Uh, Ian Happ's been good since they called him up. A couple of the other bench guys have done well. Anthony Rizzo's been an okay hitter. Otherwise, they've all been pretty much bad. Um, you're going to hear a lot about that as they're bashing the Giants' brains in, uh, right. metaphorically. They're not going to actually. They did. They didn't win yesterday, thirteen to six, <laughs> at home against the Brewers. So I think they're fine. So they're fine now. Uh, they're they're getting fine just in time to play the Giants, uh, right. who will give up runs to them, and you will be frustrated. Thirteen runs on fifteen hits. So uh, I think the Giants are are going to be. So what'll that'll make them nineteen and thirty? That'll be fun to, to see what happens. It'll be fun to see what happens. <laughs> Like how a team responds when you're 19 and 30. Because that's like a nice round number of like, you've got 30 losses. You've been playing baseball for like 45 days. <laughs> um, and okay, so that that's all I want to say about the upcoming series. It's all doom and gloom. Oh, and then, then they play the Braves at home. The Braves are... And they play the Braves at home. <laughs> Which is, what are those games called uh, in football or in basketball where you look past... Tra- Trap games? The Giants aren't good enough trap to have games. trap games. That's the thing. So we don't have to worry about that. But, you know, like the, the Krukos of the world would be like, oh, you know, 22 and 30. You know, that's a lot better than <laughs> like you sweep the Braves like you're supposed to. And now things don't look so bad. You're just trying to get to 500 by the All-Star break. <laughs> that should be the goal. Um, okay. We've got a game this week, which we don't always have, but if you have ideas for them, that'd be great. Uh, Doug, I have a question. Have you seen the movie Alien Covenant, which just came out? I have not seen the new one. I saw Prometheus, but I have not seen it. You saw Prometheus. Okay, so I think you'll have a general understanding of what I'm saying then, but I will explain it for the audience out there. So this week's game is called Alien or Covenant. So Covenant, the new movie, I think, takes place. It's a prequel. It's the sequel to a prequel of the Alien movies with Sigourney Weaver. Uh, in Prometheus, I think you'd agree, Doug, that the crew of the Prometheus were some of the dumbest characters in movie history. They, they were. They were, um, they were as dumb as the cast of the TV show Heroes was terrible. <laughs> well, I'm happy to report that the tradition of <laughs> thuddingly stupid characters in this prequel universe continues in in a covenant in the original alien series which you can just call alien and aliens or even if you want to count alien 3 i don't care i think you'd agree that the crews in those movies the space marines the the nostromo in the first one the prisoners and then i don't remember the name of the ship in the fourth one because who cares about the fourth one that they were not bright but actually it was more that they were varying between cocky and just afraid like they 
the, sort of the theme of this whole series is like men are awful and destructive and the only thing men are good at creating is their own destruction. Like those are the only seeds we can plant is the seeds of our own destruction. In Covenant, for example, and it's pretty similar to Prometheus, every time a man, and this is the same in Alien because Sigourney Weaver is warning them the whole time. Whenever a man ignores a woman, like her warnings or the reason she lays out for why we shouldn't do this stupid thing, it blows up in the guy's faces. In the first, in the Alien series, the first, the original series or whatever, they're not so much stupid as they're just like, we've got this. It'll be fine. We've got our procedures. We, we know what we're doing. We're tough guys. It's fine. And then it all goes to, to crap. In Prometheus and, and Covenant, it's basically the writers going, we need to get to the part where they're being slaughtered mercilessly. <laughs> How do we just do that? And, you know, because in the moment, it's like, okay, I understand why this dumb person is firing a gun around this explosive stuff because she's trying to kill this alien because she's afraid. But how the alien got to where it is, where she's having to shoot at it, and why she has a gun and why she's afraid are all for stupid reasons. <laughs> so I'm just going, I'm setting this all up as a game of, so there's clearly the overarching alien universe. But within that, there's sort of like the prequel set of characters and the original movie set of characters. And my, the game this week I want to do is like, we're going to name a giant. And we're going to try to figure out if they're the dumb crew that's going to get killed by their own stupidity, if that's the crew that they're on, or if they're in the other one where their savviness might let them eventually be killed in sort of the smarter, scarier way. So that's the game. Alien or Covenant? How dumb are the Giants players that we're about to name? How, how stupidly would they die? So I'm going to go first. Doug, Buster Posey, where, which crew would he be on? I mean, he's got to be on Alien. He's yeah. like he's 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 not gonna be the guy who does things for stupid reasons. He's gonna be the guy who does things for okay reasons. You know, you can think of better things to do, but he, he's not making bad decisions necessarily. But he's just up against an enemy that he can't really understand. Uh, I mean, he's. I think I'd picture him sitting next to Ripley, going like, "I I think Ripley's right." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then, then obviously he would take the orders and just be like, oh, we'll figure something out. And then it would just all go horribly wrong. Do you think he gets killed by the creature roaming the ship or does he get infected in it? Chest bursting, that kind of thing. Um, that's, that's something I didn't even think about until now. That well, should be another well, part well, of anything, the game. Well, if anything, I think he, he gets killed. Uh, I think, and I think well, they all get killed. I think he no, gets every killed. time we're naming gets killed. Hold on, let me be yeah. more specific about this. I think he gets killed because he's trying to communicate with someone who's trying to repair a really urgent system. So he doesn't have a choice but to go after him into what he knows is danger. And then he gets there and he finds the guy is dead, but he can finish the job. And as I'm not sure if he finishes the job or he's about to finish the job, but that's when the, the, the alien gets him. I'm picturing him in like a signal uplink scenario where he needs the, they need to like repair the signal uplink yeah. to like, Transmit something or, or just get, relay just get something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, okay, yeah, I he doesn't have a choice, and but yeah. it just doesn't go well. By the way, in the new movies, no one gets those kinds of deaths. <laughs> They're all like all their deaths are point. Like none of them, no one's like. It, at least in Aliens with the Space Marines, remember the two who kill themselves to 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 stop the advancing aliens to let the others get away. There's none of that. Yeah. 
like... I, I think my uh, my favorite death in Prometheus, spoiler for anyone who for some reason cares about being spoiled for Prometheus, which I actually generally liked, but the deaths were all really stupid. Um, but uh, Charlize Theron had the worst death I have ever seen. <laughs> okay. Like two feet to the left. What are you doing? <laughs> okay, so I was at a dinner party the other night. And, uh, and, and one of my friends, her boyfriend works for SpaceX and one of his coworkers gave this impassioned defense, uh, from a scientific standpoint about why Prometheus was a great movie. <laughs> and she goes, no, it was really dumb. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because the way Charlize Theron died was totally dumb. Why didn't she just run left or right? <laughs> and then he apparently fumed silently and the next day she woke up to a wall of a text message explaining why there was nothing Charlize Theron could have why running left or right would have been pointless in that scenario <laughs> so this is why uh, SpaceX has some issues that's mine <laughs> alright who, who do you got for me um, I'm going to give you Johnny Cueto. Oh, Johnny Cueto dies in the new series, but like he's just the cool dude. Like he's he dies dumbly because he's kind of dumb. Like he's probably for some reason they have they bring a horse on the mission. <laughs> and like he's he's just it's kind of like he's on a patrol and just kind of stumbles into it. And then, you know, then the, oh, but then the alien bursts out of the horse. <laughs> like, the horse goes back to them. Like, and like, where's, where's Johnny? <laughs> He'd be JP in the movie. He'd go back to being JP Quito. Okay. <laughs> He'd be like, where's JP? And then, like, they're, like, taking care of the horse. <laughs> and just, like, the horse starts kicking. And then, <laughs> and then just, you have an alien, a horse alien xenomorph. That'd be great. I would love I'm gonna write that. that movie. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, all right, next one. I mean, let's we got Buster Posey. Let's do Brandon Belt. Uh, I mean, new series. Like he's all right, Prometheus death. Prometheus death. It's that's fairly obvious. <laughs> Covenant. I mean, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, Brandon Belt. Like he he goes into. I don't know. He goes into like some alien, some old alien spaceship, sees a bowl of noodles and eats them. <laughs> so they, okay, they find a complex which has been, which is still running and it's operational. But abandoned, obviously. Abandoned, obviously, but still operational. And it looks. Like everything's in good condition, so he chances something from the food stores. Yeah, right. Yeah, because he's hungry. He's hungry, and you know you yeah. got to test it sometime. What better way? <laughs> and it turns out there are a lot of better ways. <laughs> Mine was going to be that during one of the melees, there's a fight, and he gets knocked over a catwalk <laughs> and kind of falls over the railing like he did in the NLDS. And, uh, and you think he's dead. And then he kind of comes to, and then he gets killed by the alien later. <laughs> I feel like he, he comes to, and he has like his own little 15 minute journey trying to get back to the ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets killed before he ever does. That's, that's beautiful. 
That's amazing. Ah, <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Or like he was infected and he, while he was unconscious, and so he gets killed as it's chest bursting. Right. On his way back. Either way, that's great. Okay. <laughs> Who you got for me? This will be the last one. Okay. Last one. Uh, I'm going to go with Hunter Strickland. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna go. He's in the he's alien. He's in the original. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he's pretty clearly a space yeah. marine. Yeah, he's a, clearly a space marine. He's the most racist one, and he's gonna he's gonna make it far <laughs> because you've got to have the one character's like, why hasn't he been brutally murdered yet? <laughs> and he's he's also he's, the one who doubts Ripley at every turn, and is in his oh, he's proven abs- correct twice uh, through sheer coincidence. <laughs> And he's also going to have a change of heart. This is my pitch. Why he lasts so long. He has a change of heart. And he admits, like, he has a, a catharsis. Because obviously in these alien movies, they can't sleep. They're up all night. They're stressed. It's all life and death. And he has, like, a come to Jesus moment. Maybe, like, one of the other Marines gets killed saving him. And it's the one he's been the hardest on, the most racist towards. And he's like, I am... I don't know why I, I, I being brought up this way is not an excuse. It's not going to be this. It's not going to sound this great, but basically like I've been a real awful person to people I actually care about. And the only reason why I act like I don't care is because they look different from me. But now I get this thing that doesn't care what we look like. And, and that's way I'd rather kill that and be, you know, be aggressive to that. And, uh, and then he, I think he gets like, he gets chomped on each arm and each leg and just drawn and quartered. Okay. Oh, that is... That's, that's what I think. That is a fun that's one. That's what I think is happening. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and I think it's... I think it's got to be... Ripley's doesn't even try to save it. <laughs> I think... I think... No, I'm trying to think of how catharsis. that happens. No, here's what it is. He has yeah. his catharsis. Ripley sees the ali- the multiple aliens coming for him, but she has to do something else, and they both know it. And like she looks at him, and he looks at her and nods, like as his arms are being. Oh, you're giving him the noble death. You're giving him the sacrifice. No, because he's already dead. So he's just like, do what you have to do, because he is still a space marine. He understands doing the job. <laughs> but she will have no and no regrets. She will never she, think about. She, yeah, she won't. <laughs> She doesn't even think when she goes when she starts talking about all the people who died. He won't be mentioned. <laughs> all right, that was surprisingly fun, and it made me like Covenant in retrospect. <laughs> uh, do we have any Twitter questions this week? We do have Twitter questions this week. Uh, we have Twitter questions every week. Send them in at McCroncast. You can put them in the comments below this post, like so many people do. Uh, this was a, a short week, but we still got several questions. Um, the first one comes from Steve Svensson at Svensson19, who asks, I like Contos, but why does he get the call so often in high-leverage situations when he consistently struggles in them? Steve, Steve, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know. I think it's, there's a weird variance with Contos. Wasn't it a couple of years ago? Maybe it was three. Okay, I'm going to answer the question this way. One, he's been on the team for a long time. So that automatically builds in a certain level of trust with him. Two, three or four years ago, he was really bad at, at um, inherited runners, if I recall correctly. 
And then somewhere in the last three or four years, he was okay and great, I think. Yeah. He was now, great for, for like a full year and then very good, I think, for another year. Yeah. So I feel like with Contos, he has always been not a mirage because he certainly has his use. I don't even want to say streaky. I'm just going to say I don't. I just think he's been very lucky as a as a player earning money that the sample sizes have sort of worked in his favor. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does sound like he's just lucky. But I mean, just like I just think it's sample sizes. I I agree. I don't see. I mean, this year the Giants were like, well, that he's going to be the guy against lefties because of this ridiculously small sample against them. But he doesn't look like a pitcher who should be facing lefties. Uh, he's, it's weird. It's like sometimes he can get in like a strikeout rhythm, but most of the time he doesn't. It's just contact and, and ground outs. And I don't know. I don't think Kanto's a great reliever. And if they have an opportunity, I mean, he's a guy I'm like, if they can throw him into a trade, why not? Why keep going to arbitration with him? Not that I think he's terrible and not a major league pitcher. Far from it. You know, he has value, but he's a sixth inning cleanup guy. Seventh inning try to hold this tie you know the giants have somehow come back it was 10 to nothing after five and we got it to 10 to 10 let's hold that <laughs> can you hold that for an inning george and usually right. you can't <laughs> <laughs> um that is true i mean so i so yeah i would say it boils down to familiarity with him uh the couple of years ago when he was just an absolutely great guy at, at preventing uh, inherited runners from scoring, which is fluky, but the Giants do put a lot of stock in that. And then some of it's just, hey, why not? Look at how handsome he is and how good his commercial is this year. <laughs> Both true. Very important considerations. Also, Next since, question. since the Greek yeah. culture is, is dying, you don't want to knock Greeks out of the spotlight for as long as possible. It's important to keep... No, them. oh God, Greece, Greece has lost so much yeah. lately. you got to let them have this. <laughs> Please, we need this. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Scott DiGiorgio, who asks, how much would you extend uh, Samarja for given his last four starts? Assume this is a contract year. Oof, I wouldn't. I would take... I would, I would say thanks and goodbye. <laughs> And I would do exactly what the Cubs did and been like, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not going to gamble on, we're going to take what we got and that's it. Yeah, I don't. Would you like to give me Addison Russell for him? Yeah. Exactly. I would take that. <laughs> right. If that deal could still happen, I, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I, abs there's no, there's no scenario. Jeff Samarja was always, even when the Giants signed him, I'm like, I think he's going to be close to this. I thought it was still a good move. It's just, you know, if the Giants could get out of it right away, you'd like to think it's because they have something better that they can replace him with. I would counter the, I would tweak this question a little bit. Do the Giants have anything better over the next couple of years? They don't, I don't think. Nothing, so, nothing for sure. I mean, maybe, maybe Coonrod develops really well, but otherwise... Like, Beattie doesn't look like he's going to be any better than Samarja. Right. Uh, Samarja's been a good major league pitcher for a bunch of years. And, and I think a pitcher yeah. who can strike out a lot of guys is extremely valuable. So I – and he's not walking. I mean, the home runs are a huge problem, and he gets on those contact rolls. But, I mean, the stuff – it's not like he's – 
it's not Jonathan Sanchez. I mean, I think that's an easy comp to make, but like Jonathan Sanchez will like tantalize you, but Jeff Samarja can deliver in stretches like we're seeing right now. So, yeah. Uh, from uh, Lisi Shower at Cave Device asked, is a two parter. One, does Buster Posey secretly call into CanBR? Two, is Buster Posey <laughs> the founder of hashtag Belt Bash? <laughs> well, I think at the top we kind of answered those questions. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. No, unequivocally, yes. Uh, Buster Posey is actually Scott and Marin. I'm, I'm saying it here first. Well, I'm... my only regret about that is that I mentioned the name Scott and Marin. <laughs> Uh, for those who are not in the Bay Area listening on KMBR, and they're just fans listening to this podcast, which first, thank you. Two, how would they come to know what that means, Doug? Uh, so if you listen to sports radio, no matter where you are in the country, you're gonna, you're definitely going to hear a lot of really stupid people <laughs> saying a lot of really asinine ideas. <laughs> so Scott and Marin is one of those. But if, if you also listen to it really regularly, maybe you'll hear some regulars who are really stupid, just unbelievably stupid, going on and on about things that there's just, there's no way they could or should happen. That's Scott and Marin. <laughs> Calls in regularly to KNBR and is just unbelievably bad at it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Any more questions? Uh, we have one from Cal at Not Really Kelvin. Has it been proven that if the Giants want to go home bad enough, they will win games so they can do so? Uh, they might lose games so they can do so, too. That's on the table. I don't understand the question. I mean, I feel like it's about the playoffs. Um, like, you know, if they're playing badly and then they're down 3-1 to the Cardinals, like, can they just will their way to a victory in Game 5 and get home for Game 6 and 7? That's kind of how I'm taking it, but that might be wrong. Oh, I was thinking it was more like... Like a getaway situation, a getaway day situation where they're just like, I just want to leave. Let's just swing quickly and just... They definitely can't do that. Yeah. There's unequivocally Let's no one. Let's just make outs quickly. I, a long time ago, I was developing a TV show, like a West Wing baseball show, and I was like, there should be an episode called Getaway Day where one of the characters needs to like try to stop this woman he loves from flying away, or he needs to meet her at the airport, a standard TV trope. But the way that the timing is going to work out with the game, they'll, he won't get there in time. So his teammates decide, all right, it's getaway day. We already won the series. Let's just, let's just do this game in like two hours. <laughs> and they're like just swinging at everything to get through it and all that stuff, uh, which is a horrible thing. But in a 162-game season, I got to believe there's games where the players are like, screw this. <laughs> right. Especially when they're on the road. Like, I don't owe these fans anything. They'll be happy their team won. So, <laughs> uh, or you know, I bet I bet you know they're a player. That's the beauty of baseball. You might just I'm going to swing at the first pitch no matter what. It's like oh, it's three to nothing. That's weird. So. <laughs> uh, then finally, our last question of the day comes from Brandon at Todayologist, who asked, "Why does Buster Posey suck so much? Why is he a sucking sucker that sucks?" <laughs> well, it sounds like because he calls KMBR all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Every Six Day. You can find our show at McCroncast and Doug Doug Brizzoni at yeah. Moonwalk McFly, right? Yeah, that's right. That, that is right. <laughs> All right. Please send us your questions. Uh, leave us your comments. Uh, 
You can add us uh, through iTunes and we're on uh, other services, which if you read the post, you'll be able to see I've totally blinked on all the other... Stitcher, that's the thing, Stitcher. And we're through Blog Talk Radio, obviously. And thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thank you. Goodbye.